0: The following message was recorded at Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. More information can be found online at Bethlehem.Church. It's good to be with you. It's really good to see you. Please pray with me. Great God, I come with some loaves and fishes like a little boy asking you to be kind to us, that you would multiply and feed many people and may extend far beyond us. Thank you that you are at work through your church, through the people who've gathered here, through the people that are watching online. You are working and you are going to work. We are your channels. You do work through your people. Would you do work through your people because of us looking at your word today? This is an act of watering and planting, but you are the one that supplies the growth. So we ask you for it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I encourage you to not put your Bibles away. In fact, keep them open. Keep looking at them. I'm hopefully going to keep pointing you to them. It's kind of like walking into an art gallery. Have you been in an art gallery before? Have you been to the Minneapolis Institute of Art or... A different type of gallery, and you've seen somebody who seems to be staring at a picture for an extraordinarily long period of time. Perhaps they even have a sketchbook or a notebook. Maybe they're trying to copy it, but they're studying it. Why do people do that? Well, I am not an artist, nor am I the son of an artist. I didn't even take art appreciation in college. So here is my very humble opinion. The more you study a painting, the more you see The reality is artists are communicators, and they are seeking to draw our attention to things by the light and the shadows and the way things are arranged. And this chapter of Acts is doing the same thing. Luke is an amazing artist. And what I hope to do is point out some of the things that I've seen this week, and yet there is so much more to be seen. So maybe in your small group you want to dig into it further. But what I'm going to try to do is point you to the main thing. And what he's trying to do is to point us to Jesus. And then once we see Jesus, he wants to take us deeper and see more about Jesus. And then once we've seen more about Jesus, he wants to take us even deeper to see even more about Jesus. That is what this text is doing, and that's how it's arranged. So if you kind of like a road map to know where we're going, it's really simple. Three points. Three paragraphs right in your Bible in front of you. Number one, Jesus' miracle in verses 1 through 10. It's the miracle of the Savior, and we're going to look at that. Secondly, Peter's question. Peter asks the question that is hanging in the air and points them to an answer that they were not expecting. That's the second paragraph in verses 12 to 16. And then the final section is the prophet's call. Peter strings together all these Old Testament passages that the prophets have written hundreds of years before this and says they were all pointing to Jesus. Do you see it? Do you hear their call? Respond to it. Deeper and deeper and deeper. This passage is meant to fix our attention on Christ and to see more about him his this text is filled with names and titles of him it's filled with acts that he has done and has already accomplished and is doing look at Jesus with me in this passage and keep looking at Jesus with me in this passage let's begin in verse 1 1 and 2 This is the section of Jesus' miracle, seeing that Jesus heals through his apostles in verse 1 through 11. It sets the scene. It connects to our passage from last week. If you're familiar with the early church, they were attending the temple daily. And what do we see them doing right here? Attending the temple. They were focused on prayers. What are they doing? They're attending the temple to pray. It was an ordinary day in the life of the church. Do you show up this morning expecting extraordinary things from the Savior as you do ordinary things as the church gathers? He's working. And it was also an ordinary day in the life of a lame man. The way that the language is written, it's either that he was carried there right as they were showing up, or this is, he was carried there earlier in the day. But regardless, regularly he was carried there. This was his normal spot. Kind of like you may have a normal spot, and you're like, why is somebody sitting in my chair? That's my spot. This guy's spot was by the beautiful gate, and he was carried there. Now, the heart of this text, and I want to encourage you to fix your eyes on there, is in verse 3 through 6. And children, I want you to watch, point to all the uses of the words about eyes. Seeing, looking, fixing attention, things like that. Just watch. It's all over the place. Luke wants us to see something. He doesn't want us to miss something. So look at verse 3 with me. Seeing Peter, that's the lame man, he saw Peter and John about to go into the temple. He asked to receive alms and Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. Okay, so just pause there for a second. What did he want? What was he looking for? And then we'll look, what does Peter want him to see? What does Peter want him to look for? He wants to receive alms. Why is that a big deal? This was how he survived. Life was very challenging for him. He did not have the physical ability to work, so he went to the temple to receive alms. A very difficult situation. Notice the word, the first word in verse 6, but. This is a contrast. He wanted to receive alms, but... In contrast, Peter had something very different for him. Jesus had something very different for him. Peter said, I have no silver and gold. I think what he's hinting at there is by the providence of our great history-orchestrating God, he left his money bag at home that day. He didn't have a few coins to give him. He had so much more to give him. I have no silver and gold, but what I do have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Look at what he wants him to see. Look at where he wants him to look. In the name of Jesus, we kind of throw that around. Uh, There's a really great podcast, Ask Pastor John, about why does the Bible use the name of Jesus? Check it out, dig into this more. But it's this reality of the very person, the very representation of Jesus... That's what I want you to be focused on, lame man. In his name, by his authority, rise up and walk. And that is a command. Stand up and walk. The text then moves into several different actors. We see what the apostles do. We see what the man does. And we see what Jesus does. He's in there. I want to I point that out. So keep looking at the text. And he, that is Peter, took him by the right hand and raised him up. This man was used to being picked up, used to being carried. It's very obvious he didn't like slap his hand away. He leaned into that. And as he did, immediately his feet and his ankles were made strong. Notice that is a passive verb. Were made strong. It happened to him. He didn't do it. And as we see in just a few verses, Peter did not do it. John did not do it. Jesus did it. Jesus heals. Jesus heals today. And what does he do? The people saw him walking and praising. And if you didn't get it, he's walking further in this text absolutely what we would do. Do you know somebody who's lame? I was interacting with my mom this week at a nursing home. She has multiple sclerosis. She is unable to walk. I was talking to her about this passage. The Lord has chosen not to heal her if he had we would be leaping and she would be leaping and praising and maybe doing backflips. I don't know. This is a real and amazing miracle. Jesus' miracle. It moves into the the next section, Um, the response of the crowd and Peter's question. But let me just really quickly draw in those of you that might be a little bit skeptical yeah, this is a pretty good story. This is nice art, not history. Or you might have questions about that. How do we know that this really happened? Well, there's a lot that could be said about that, but let me just say a couple things. One, Luke is a phenomenal historian. Those who've really looked at his work and studied him know that this guy is unparalleled in his time. In fact, he introduces his first work, the Gospel of Luke, saying that his purpose was to give an orderly counsel. People would know for certain that these things had been taking place, that what you had taught had been taking place. Secondly, this was done publicly. We read, this was done in your very presence. This was a miracle that nobody could deny, not even the ones that wanted to deny it. I'm going to set up this text almost like hitting the volleyball up and, Stephen, Lord willing, will spike it next week uh, when, when the conflict really arises in chapter 4. But in chapter 4, we see that even those that didn't want to give credit to Jesus, didn't want his name to be preached, could not deny that a phenomenal sign had taken place. This is a historical account. We're standing on good footing here. Jesus healed this man. As they rush together, as we look at Peter's question now, starting in verse 12, as they rush together, I'm seeing him giving them a big bear hug maybe over the neck or whatever it happened to be, but this man is clinging to these apostles as they're in the temple, and notice in verse 12 what Peter's question is. Why are you staring at us? Why are you looking at us as if it's our power and piety? If you're somebody that circles things in your Bible, I'd really encourage you to circle the words power and piety. That's primarily the main point. Why are you looking at us? That's how the Jewish mind would think. Well, you are a pious person because we know that God is the one who heals and we know you're not God, but you did it. And Peter's like, no, 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 no. It was Jesus. Why are you looking at us? And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? And why do you stare at us as though by our own power and a piety, we have made him walk? Before we get further into how he answers that, I think we need to stop. This was the place in the passage in my preparation where the Lord wanted to cut me to the heart. How often do I want people to stare at me? How often do I whisper things in my own ears? Oh, it's it's by my piety. This is why the Lord is being kind to me and letting me do this. Or how often do I think, well, it's my power. I did that. Peter is like, no. Pride is so insidious. Where is it showing up in your life this week? It's like a shape-shifting monster. You cut off one head and it pops up over here and says, way to go, way to cut that off. <laughs> and then we say, yeah. It's a relentless enemy. And it absolutely opposes God. He set up the universe to bring him praise. And we think that God set up the universe to bring us praise. Praise. May we repent of that. May we run from that. May we see that this week and say, no, God, get it out. Heal me. But if that wasn't convicting enough, he not only, Peter, not only wants to deflect the praise from the apostles, he wants to take it deeper and not just that the people would see it rightly, but that they would see that they killed Christ and that they would repent and that their souls would be healed. He has evangelism on his mind. I'm so caught up in the not wanting to have people look rightly that I sometimes miss the deeper need of their souls. And Peter does not miss that. Look at where he goes in this very surprising answer. In verse 13... It says, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers glorified his servant Jesus. Now we might think, well, of course he did. That's his purpose. That's what the Holy Spirit is all about. But those words are quoted from Isaiah 52, verse 13. Why is that significant? Well, how many of you are familiar with Isaiah 53? God's suffering servant the chastisement that was upon us well, upon him has brought us peace by his wounds we are healed did you know chapter divisions kind of mess us up did you know that in isaiah 53 just a cu- 52 just a couple verses earlier he talks about his servant being exalted before his servant suffers it says this in isaiah 52:13 behold Which again means look. He wants us to see something. My servant, same words in the Greek translation here, shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted, shall be glorified. He's promising that. And then he's walking through all of the unjust suffering of his servant. Why does he do that? Why is Peter doing that? Well, he wants us to see a couple of things. He wants to see that it's Jesus' piety and it's Jesus' power that's healed this man. But even more, he's going there because God has exalted, has lifted up. In Isaiah, it was a future. This is going to happen. But now, God has raised up his servant Jesus by raising him from the dead. He's exalted him to the right hand of the Father, and he is doing these wondrous things. And you need to know that you were a part of his suffering. That's where he's going with this audience. Yikes. Look at, he says, you denied the Holy and Righteous One. Isaiah talks a lot about this righteous one. It says, this, the righteous one, my servant, calls him that in 53 verse 11. And in 53 verse 9, he says, he has done no violence and there is no deceit in his mouth. And yet what does Peter do? He says, you denied him. You used your mouth to accuse a holy and innocent, the righteous one, not a righteous one, the holy and righteous one. There is no pure one. Than Jesus Christ. He was tempted in every way yet without sin. And what did you do? You used your power. You used your violence to take him out. Look at what it says right there. You killed the author of life. Now, Isaiah doesn't talk about Jesus necessarily, at least from what I can uncover. It doesn't talk about him as the author of life in this section, But what do we know about this Christ? We know that all things were created by him and for him. We know that he just a chapter ago created his church by pouring out the Spirit, breathing new life into them, and he does as he does for each believer. And what do we know from this text? He reached down and touched the ankles and reconstituted them so that they were the way that they should be of this lame man. And what did they do with the author of life? The exact opposite. They killed him. Has the Lord God brought to your attention the way that what you think about him and how you act towards him comes into contact, into into crashes into, crushes, meets up against who he is. That's what's happening here. He's leading them to repentance. Has that happened in your life for the first time? Is that happening to you and continuing to happen for you? We just talked about pride. God's purpose is to exalt Christ. We try to exalt ourselves. Those crash into each other and should lead us to repentance. Some of us are tempted to think, God's a liar, God's a lie. And yet Jesus is the truth. The way, the truth, and the life. And in fact, he's the God who cannot lie. Where is God leading you to repentance? Repentance. Notice the seeds of hope at the end of this section in verse 16. And in his name, by faith in his name, he has made this man strong whom you see and know. So he's helping them understand this miracle was Jesus. He did it. And by faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. And what he wants to do is to say it's through faith That perfect health came. It's through faith that perfect reconciliation with God has come. It's available to you. See it. Hear it. Cry out for it. Look to Jesus for it. It's by faith. It's by faith. The final section, beginning in verse 17, strings together all sorts of prophetic words. And their fulfillment is in Jesus. And the call by them is to repent. This is amazing. These are deep, deep, deep waters. We're going to skim across the surface. This is definitely a place where you can spend a little bit more time looking. We already saw some of it, but let's, let's keep looking. First, before we get there, though, let's make sure that we understand verse 17 and 18 correctly. 17 says, And now, brothers... I know that you acted in ignorance. Now, if this was written in 2021, we'd pause there and say, it's no big deal. You acted in ignorance. No problem. That is not Peter's point. He's not seeing that at all. What he's contrasting is their ignorance. their not seeing it accurately with the way that God sees it accurately. Look at verse 18. It starts with the word but. In contrast to what you thought you were doing, And what you didn't realize you were doing, God knew. In fact, he foretold it by the mouth of all of his prophets. And what did he do? He has fulfilled it. It was his plan. He said it was his plan, and he did it. Why did he do it? Look at verse 19. And this is the first call to them and to us in this passage. Repent, therefore, And turn back that your sins may be blotted out. We just need to pause for a second there and marvel at the God that we have been invited in to serve. There's no other God who blots out sins. Every other God says, work! Keep working! Hopefully it'll be enough! I'll judge it at the end! (sighs) Flee from those false gods! Run to the one who blots out our sins. Praise that name. Take faith in that name. There is no one like him. And Peter, as such a good pastor, woos his people to that repentance. Because how many of us have whispers in our flesh And whispers in our heart that if I repented, it would mess up my life. That's a lie. That's from the one that lies, seeks to deceive, seeks to kill. Run away from that. This is the truth. Repent that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. There is joy on the other side of repentance. There is mercy for those that choose not to hide their sins, but bring it into the light and seek forgiveness from the Savior. Times of refreshing are probably uh, an allusion to Isaiah 53 um, I'm sorry, to Isaiah 43, verse 25, and what it's talking about is there's going to be inbreakings of grace. Oh, we still live in a broken world, and there's all sorts of hurt and hardship. But there's in-breakings of grace. There's seasons of still waters. There's miracles like this man being healed. There were many others who weren't healed, but this man was. There's times where God does mighty things. Ask somebody after the service, what mighty things has God done in your life? He does mighty things. It is such a good thing. Ask somebody, what grace have you seen on the other side of repentance? It's true. He woos them there. And then he says, he talks about Jesus. He says, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all things happens. Church, you need to know there is a time for restoring all things. Some of you are living, seeing, experiencing, feeling viscerally the brokenness of this world, your lives, your bodies, those that you love. There is a time for restoring all things. And there's a God who empowers us in the midst of those broken things. It would not be right to look at this account and not just talk a little bit about healing and what the Lord does. Um, this final verse helps sort of complete many of the, the key truths that this text talks about physical healing the restoring of, of what God has designed in the physical body of another. Notice, uh, first of all, right from the beginning, Jesus heals. Jesus heals. Our elders practice James five thirteen to 18. I'll just read you one sentence from that wider passage. Let him, or the person that's sick, call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. That is, that's in Scripture. That is something that we do. There have been people in our midst whom the Lord has restored. Let the Spirit stir your heart to call the elders and, and let us pray for you but we also in this broken world need to hold that intention with some of the other things that this text talks about it's clear that not all will be healed acts 321 says there is a time for restoring all things but they're not all going to be restored yet and that is a hard and painful thing just as i mentioned i was talking to my mom about this passage She has been prayed for. She has desired healing, but she's had MS for 50 years. And the Lord is glorifying himself mightily through her joy. The people in her nursing home know. She trusts in the Savior, and I know that she will be restored one day because he has given her deeper healing. That's what this passage is about. It's pointing us primarily to the deeper healing that can be found in Christ. I know that one day in glory, my mom will leap and jump for joy. As a little boy, I said, jump, mommy, jump. She wasn't able to do that. But one day, she will leap and praise Jesus and praise him for saving her primarily. I look forward to her backflips. There's a greater healing. There's a greater healing. And and there's much that's needed. It's painful. May the Lord serve you as you're struggling and desiring the healing that has yet to come. May He help you look to the day when it will come. Well, there's two final words in this text from the prophets that, that we can't miss. They're staggering. The first is a warning, and the second is a blessing. It's a curveball. I like baseball, so watch for that one. It's coming second. First pitch. A warning. Peter stitches together three verses from Deuteronomy 18. um, In verses 22. The Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You need to know in the wider context, Moses is speaking and saying, you know me and you know who false prophets are because they say things and they don't happen. You don't need to fear them, but God is going to raise up a prophet like me from among you and it is to him you shall listen. It's in the future. It's going to happen. And what Peter is saying is this prophet that was raised up is Jesus. And how was he raised up? He was raised from the dead. He was first raised up to walk among you, and now he's been raised up from the dead. Listen to him. Just consider the prophetic ministry of Jesus. Just focus in on his crucifixion. What did he say would happen? He said that he would be betrayed. He said that he would be handed over to the leaders. He said that that all would depart from him and run away from him and abandon him. He said that he would suffer. He said that he would rise again. Every single word came true. Listen to him. And if that was not enough, listen to the warning in verse 23, which is also in Deuteronomy 18 and was directed to this people and to us. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to the prophet shall be destroyed from the people. We are not messing around here. This is not just coming to get your dose of church and going home. We are hearing from God. Listen to him. Other prophets had spoken, but the final word is a blessing taken out of Genesis twenty two eighteen, 18 and it's important that you know that wider context let's look at that in verse 25 and 26 let me first read those and you are the sons of the prophet and of the covenant that God made with your fathers let me just pause there for a second you need to understand something about this Jewish audience they thought they were right with God because they were the sons of the prophets and that God had made their covenant to them through Abraham they thought they were good to go Like some of you maybe today, you think, I'm good to go. I'm in a Christian family, or I'm good to go. I do a lot of good things. I'm good to go. I come to church regularly. I serve. No. He confronts them by saying this. The covenant that God made with your father, sing to Abraham, and in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. They thought they were already blessed. But notice what he says in verse 26. Verse 26. God, having raised up his servant, sent him first to bless you. When did that blessing come? It's right now. Right now, as you're being blessed by the Savior who's raised from the dead and is now here before you to do what? To turn every one of you from your wickedness. Again, we don't think of repentance that way. We think of repentance or blessing as more stuff or an easy life. The point of this passage is the blessing of Abraham is to turn you from your wickedness. And there's so much more. These words were spoken to Abraham after his son had figuratively been raised from the dead. He was brought up on a hill was about to be killed, the Lord stopped him, the sacrifice of Abraham, and that obedience led to these words. Not figuratively, but literally, God raised up his son and sent him to you to bless you by inviting you to turn from your wickedness. So what are we supposed to do with this passage? First and primarily, we are to marvel at the Savior. He heals. He's the Holy and Righteous One. He's the One who blots out sins. He's the author of life. He lived in Nazareth. We can get a little of that thrown in. Marvel at the Savior. Where in this passage, what in this passage leaps off the page and says, Worship Christ! Marvel at the Savior. Secondly, seek His shepherding. Seek His shepherding to flee from pride so that when your opportune time comes, you can both reject others staring at you and care for their souls. Seek His shepherding. Third, repent. Repent and turn. As this man was called to walk, to stand and walk, this text calls us to repent and turn from our wickedness. There is wickedness in our lives that we're not showing to people. We're not bringing into the light. We're scared to do it. We think our lives are better with it. This text says, no, turn, turn, come to Christ. Receive times of refreshing that come along with that. Flee. And finally, keep repenting. The Christian life is a life of repentance. We don't just believe once, we keep believing. We don't just confess once, we keep confessing. And there's joy in that. Keep confessing, keep looking to the one who heals. Keep going to Jesus. Please pray with me. Jesus, you are enthroned in heaven right now. Thank you for the privilege of looking at this masterful artistic account, historical account that Luke has laid out for us and for the church. Would you be gracious to us in these areas? Would you please help us to see and marvel at Jesus Christ? Would you please help us to seek his shepherding, to desire it, lean into it, and come to you and say, God, search me and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See all the different hidden grievous ways in me and lead me in the way everlasting. God, would you lead us to repentance and faith in you? Oh, the blessing of having our sins blotted out. And God, would you give us grace to keep repenting? Would you build your church? Would you work this text into the heart of your church? And would you work out through your church, by your Holy Spirit, for the increase of your kingdom. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without written permission from Bethlehem Baptist Church. For more information, we invite you to visit us online at bethlehem.church or write us at 720 13th avenue south minneapolis minnesota 55415 bethlehem baptist church spreading a passion for the supremacy of god in all things for the joy of all peoples through jesus christ